this is like game day Jersey kickoff Sunday. And I promised you several weeks ago that as I make my journey from Texas to Colorado, I am trying to become more Coloradoan, if that's a real word. And so you can notice the Jersey. I got up this morning, I put it on and my wife looked at me and said, you are a traitor. And I said, no, I'm biblical. Paul says I'm all things to all people. So I'm just trying to be all things to all people right now. So it is good. Thank you all for those that, that have your jersey on. I kind of like this idea. It's supposed to be like a one time a, a year that we do this, but it's good because I'm looking at and I'm seeing all the orange and blue jerseys and that's fun. But then every once in a while I see other color jerseys like green Philadelphia Eagles. And I realized here's how good this is. We now know the sheep from the goats just by looking at the jerseys in here. So this may be kind of a good thing that we start doing more often as we, as we just celebrate life together. I did have somebody one time say, okay, this is wrong. This is church. You should not have like kickoff Sunday. You shouldn't encourage people to wear jerseys to church. I think it's a good thing. And here's why. In heaven, when we talk about the kingdom, there'll be worship. I think there'll be teaching from our Savior. There'll be fellowship amongst the saints. But I also think there's going to be a lot of smiles, a lot of fun in heaven. I think God designed us to have fun. And so the reason we do this is never to take our attention, our mind off our Savior, because that's the most important thing. But if we can smile and enjoy life and worship the Savior, I think that's a very good day. So thank you all for being a part of a very, very good day. You know, we've been in this series talking about good days and relationships and fellowship. We've been in this series called From Porch to Patch. And if you're just now joining us, let me kind of catch up to the series. Um, you know, as you live in your home, my wife and I just moved in a brand new home, so we're meeting people. But most of the relationships, most of the people we're meeting are on our porch. They'll knock on the door. Maybe it's a neighbor over here, or maybe I step outside and I see a neighbor across the street and I wave at them. It's very super, superficial, shallow relationships. It's very formal. Like it's a two or three minute conversation. I never let them inside my house. I wave at them. That's not bad, but if we spend the rest of our life in this neighborhood and all that we have is porch relationships, I think my wife will be very disappointed in this, in this house we bought. What we're looking for in our new house are patio relationships. That's the kind that you wave at your neighbor, they come to the front porch, you open your door wide, you invite them through your messy house, you don't care what the kitchen looks like, and you say, come sit on the back patio with us and we will share life together. We will barbecue, we'll drink some iced tea, we'll have a cold beer together, whatever your beverage of choice is, but you're spending time together, just enjoying each other, and you're going deeper in relationships. The patio is where those kind of relationships occur and not the porch. And unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians in the church, the big C church across everywhere that spend all their time in church on the porch of the church, not the patio of the church. You know, you walk into church on a Sunday morning, you recognize that same person, you wave at them across the room. Maybe you sit right next to them, but you never have a relationship with them. And what we're discovering in this series is that God has designed you and I not for porch relationships, but patio relationships. From the beginning of time, he has made us and he's designed us to share life with other believers and go deep and long in those relationships. So in this series, we're discovering what it means to live life on the patio with one another. And we've been looking at different accounts in the scripture, especially in the book of Acts, of just different people that share community together and they share this life together. But this past week, while I'm studying, I also got a couple of real life pictures of community going on right now, right here in this place. And one of them came from my friend Bob, sitting right here on the front row. I would, <clears throat> I would never tell you how old Bob is uh, because that might kind of embarrass him. 
okay? Um, but Bob is a very mature young man, okay? Are you with me? 94 is the jersey I'm wearing here. Anyway, Bob is a very mature young man, but he stopped me last week and he said, hey, Keith, he said, I spent some time on the patio. I'm like, what are you talking about, Bob? He goes, let me tell you the story. I was in my office one day, going to do some work, and he said, a friend of mine called that I go to church with, and he says, I sit by this person every single week, but we've never really done stuff together. And he said, this friend of mine called, and she said, hey, Bob, can me and my wife come by? We want to help you clean up your backyard. He's got a big apple tree. And he said, can we, she said, can we come by for a few minutes? And this is what Bob told me. He looked at his desk, and he thought of all the stuff that he needed to do. But he thought, I need to spend some patio time. He said, I've been listening to you, Pastor Keith. And so he invited him over. This couple came over. They cleaned up his backyard and brought him a peach pie. And they experienced patio and peach pie together. And so I love that story because that tells me Bob is listening. But it also tells me no matter what your age is, God has designed us. Whether young or old, we never outgrow community. Another story that I ran across this past week, I actually have some pictures of it right here. There's a couple from our church, Jeff and Kim Gretemann. They are actually moving. They've been longtime members. And so they're moving to another city about three hours away. And so there was a big party thrown, a patio party for them. And Denise and I were invited. We had the best time. We prayed with them. We laughed with everybody. We just hung out on the patio. But I left there going, my life is deeper, my life is better because of patio time with people that God places in my life. And so I hope this, before we get into scripture, let me just remind you, as we started this series, it's not just to educate us what God thinks about community, it is to urge us and drive us to community. And so if you've not joined one of our groups before, and we've had many groups, many of you have been in groups and classes for a long time, but if you don't have patio time, if you don't have a group in your life that you can do community with, we will let you know by at the end of the service how you get in one because it is so, so important in our lives. But I do have another story today as we're looking at the book of Acts about community. And this is found in Acts chapter 9. It's going to be a very familiar story to many of you because we've heard it, but I've never thought of it until I began studying this week in the context of community. And this particular story, Acts chapter 9, is about Saul's conversion, him meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. So let me begin reading it to you here in chapter 9, verse 1. And here's what it says. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. If you're new to the church or maybe you haven't read your Bible much, let me just kind of catch up to this guy named Saul. He was a bad dude, okay? Like if the Broncos are God's team, he would be like playing on the Raiders, okay? That's the kind of guy this Saul guy was. But really, he was a God follower but not a Jesus follower. That Jesus at this point in history had already been crucified and rose from the grave and ascended to heaven. And so Paul or Saul, as his name is at this point, didn't understand that Jesus was God's son. He just thought he was another sect, another kind of just cult that people were following. So he made it his mission to go around and persecute any Jesus followers that he could find. If you read much of Acts, a couple of chapters before this, he had been gone so far to stir up a mob and have a man by the name of Stephen stoned by this mob. And so Saul just hated any Jesus followers. And that's what's going on here. And so it says this, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers 
of the way. That means Christians, any Jesus followers, and if, if he found them. And it says he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So he was traveling around. Wherever he could find a Jesus follower, he was persecuting, he was arresting them, he was taking them to put in jail. And as you read, keep reading Acts chapter 9, a very familiar story, you'll find out that as he's walking down the road, the road to Damascus, he has this moment that the Lord appeared to him. It was a bright light. You can go home and read it this afternoon. It was a bright light. And he hears these words, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So it was the God in heaven. It was Jesus up in heaven speaking to him, calling out to him. And the Bible goes on to say this, that the light was so bright, it blinded him. And he heard these words and he fell on his knees. And it was at that moment they had this amazing God experience that he realized that Jesus was truly the son of God. And it was at this moment that he realized persecuting Christians was the wrong thing to do, not just because he was persecuting, but these truly were right in following Jesus. So in this moment that he had this, this, this experience that he gave his own life to following God, to being a Jesus follower too. But as he stood up, he realized in his bright light that he was blinded. And so the Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, gave him some directions to go wait at a certain house in town until the next thing that God had in store for him happened. So that's the kind of story. That's the setup right there. Had a conversion experience, he's blind, and he's to go wait for the next thing that God has in his life. Read with me now, skip down to verse 9 in this one, or verse 10. It says, now, while this was going on over here, it says, now there was a believer in Damascus, and his name was Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, and he called out, Ananias. And Ananias responded, yes, Lord. Would you just look at the person next to you? I want to teach you a very good response. Yes, Lord. Not that the person next to you is the Lord. We're just practicing this, okay? Would you turn to the neighbor and just practice that response? Yes, Lord. This is the reason that's such a great response. Ananias has no idea what God is about to ask him to do. He just said, yes, Lord. I think for me personally, one of the best training, spiritual trainings that's ever helped me to, to make closely that response, yes, Lord, is when I got married 30 years ago. Because there'd be many times my new wife would say, Keith, and I would always respond, what do you want? And she has taught me over the years. It's yes to niece. No matter what she asked me to do, it's yes to niece. I'm just supposed to shake my head. That was my earthly training but there is a spiritual training that when God calls you and I to do something, no matter what it is, even before we know what it is, a proper response is, yes, Lord. But if you're like me, I may be trained to verbally say, yes, Lord, but my yes, Lord doesn't always say, yes, Lord. In fact, Ananias is just like you and I. Let's keep reading to see how his conversation with the Lord goes. In Acts verse, chapter 9, verse 11. And the Lord said, Ananias, I want you to go to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying for me right now. So Saul, the blinded Saul, is over here in this house waiting for Ananias to come visit him. And the Bible says in verse 12, I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Okay, would you for just a second, can we go back in time and just imagine if you're Ananias at that time? 
Ananias is fully aware of who and what Saul is, okay? Saul was not some mysterious person that no one knew him. He was well known his reputation, especially if you were a follower of Jesus. And so when the Lord said, Ananias, I want you to go to Straight Street because this guy named Saul is there. I imagine at that point, even though he had said, yes, Lord, he's like, where? And the Lord responds, Straight Street. Again, I'm reading into a little bit here, but kind of go with me in the conversation that might have took place. So Ananias goes, where? And the Lord goes, Straight Street. You know, if you go down Main Street and take a left on 2nd Street, it's right there as you take a left on 2nd Street, there is Straight Street. And Ananias goes, no, no, Lord, I know where straight is, but my where has more about what you want me to do than where you want me to go. Because, Lord, don't you know this Ananias guy or this Saul guy like I know? Like, he's the one that's going around persecuting Christians. I mean, Lord, aren't you aware of how mean he is? Lord, aren't you aware how dangerous this could be for me? So where do you want me to go? Do you notice how Ananias' response to went from, yes, Lord, to where, Lord? You ever felt that kind of anxiety when God calls you to do something? Like, yes, I'll go. go. Ooh, really? I remember when my wife and I were living in Dallas, Texas, many years ago, and we were praying about moving and didn't know where God was going to take us. And he said, Houston. And we said, where? <laughs> like, Houston, really? There's these things that God sometimes asks you to do. That there's this tension that rises up in you. There's this, not that you're wanting to disobey God, you're just not sure you want to obey God as much as that. And I think that's the tension that he found himself in. It's interesting. Over these last few weeks, as we've talked about joining groups, because we think that's a great step into community, into patio living, I've talked to a number of people that kind of feel that same anxiety. Because they're wanting to go where God sends them. They just don't want that where to go be in a group somewhere. Because it's a lot more comfortable to stay on the porch than it is the patio. Our neighbors next to us last week, they invited us over their house to eat. And we're going, sure, we need to do this as nice neighbors. We're preaching this lesson about porch to patio. And we go there, but we're thinking the minute we step into their house, we don't really know them. We don't know if they're going to be like us. We don't know if they're going to have the same values as us. They might even start calling us because they need things if we get to know them too much. And so there's this moment of where go next door, the anxiety of stepping someplace that you're not too familiar with. Let's see how Ananias works it out. Verse 13, but Lord, so we went from yes, Lord, to but Lord. Anybody have a big button here like I do? Okay, I'm not talking the one behind you. I'm talking about you throw it up. But Lord, but Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. So all of a sudden, Ananias is having this conversation with the Lord. And he went from yes, Lord, to but Lord, but he justified his but. He had really good excuses why he didn't want to do this. He had really good excuses of why he shouldn't do this. Lord, don't you know he's persecuting people? Excuse, excuse, excuse. Has anybody ever offered excuses to the Lord? Yeah. Okay, don't leave me all alone. Has anybody ever offered excuses to the Lord? Yeah. And I think there's so many excuses. When God calls us to do something, there's so many excuses that we offer. Let me just throw out, if you're writing notes in your, in your hand out there, here's a few fill in the blanks for you. 
When God calls you to do something, one of our excuses is we're just fearful of trying something new. Like, God, I'll do anything you want me to. Just let me do something familiar. God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Just lead me to something that I'm used to, that I know about. It's in those, those moments of our lives when God calls us to do something completely out of our norm that we have this fear that rears up. And we need to understand that fear is not a bad fear unless we act on that fear. The feeling of stress, the feeling of the unknownness is not a bad thing at all. It's really a normal response in ours. But when our emotions begin to direct our obedience, our emotions have gone astray. And so as Ananias is being called to go to Straight Street, there is no doubt that he was fearful of trying something new. I think about folks that are still thinking about, do they join a group or not? It's something new. It's going to someone's house they don't know. It's going to somebody's class they don't know. It's going to a different time of the day that they're not used to going in there. And there's a fear part of it. Here's the second excuse that Ananias offered up or that we often, often offer up. We don't want to always go where God sends us because we're uncomfortable meeting new people. There's very few things that God calls us to do that doesn't involve people. So if God calls me to do something unfamiliar, if God calls me to do something that I'm not used to, but I get to go do it with my 10 best friends, it's not such a bad deal, right? But when I'm called to go do something that I don't know the people, that changes everything. When God called my wife and I to South Sub Church in Littleton, Colorado six months ago, we didn't know a soul. But I look around right now and I'm going, oh God, you are good. Because I didn't know a soul, but I now know what the loving people are. I now have not just a patio full of people, I got a patio plus full of people in my life. And so if we let the unknownness of who's there, that we're not familiar with them, that we, they're not our old friends, if that keeps us from doing something new, then we will forever be halted or ceased on what God wants for our lives. I'm looking back there in the back, some friends of ours that we met, Steve and Vicki Kyle. Steve and Vicki Kyle aren't quite number 94 yet, but they're closer to 94 than a single digit um, jersey, if you know what I'm talking about, right? And so, but here's the deal. My wife and I, Denise, are starting this young adult Bible study that we've talked about, young adult group in our, in our, in our home. So next Tuesday, we have over 20 young adults going to gather at our house. We're going to have food, fellowship, study the scripture, and we're just going to care for one another. It's the first young adult study group that we've had here in a long time. So we invited Steve and Vicki Kyle that are just a few years past 20-year-olds or 30-year-olds. And I was talking to Vicki this morning. She goes, I'm scared to death. She goes, because I'm old and they're young. I have nothing in common with them. And it was the unfamiliarity of who they are. But here's what I know God has in store. Those young adults need mature people in their lives as much as they need more 20-somethings in their lives. And I know for a fact that not only are Steve and Vicki going to bless and minister and nurture the lives of these young adults, I think the young adults will end up blessing and nurturing and helping them in their own lives. That's how God works when he brings us into path of new people. But too many times we offer that excuse, I'm uncomfortable meeting new people. Let me give you a third excuse that we use sometimes. Many times we feel unqualified to participate I think Ananias probably felt this for sure. Like, 
Lord, you want me to go pray for Saul? Like you can send me over there on Main Street to do a Bible study because I've done that before. And Lord, if you want to send me over there onto 2nd Street, I don't, I don't mind doing like a fellowship group over there, organizing something or something like that. But to go pray for somebody like that? He had to feel so unqualified. In fact, he's probably saying, Lord, if you want to send a qualified person to pray for Saul, who's the persecutor, send somebody that's got huge muscles that can punch him in his face and run if he needs to when he tries to arrest him. He's going, God, Lord, I'm just not qualified for this type of spiritual life. Even if there wasn't a physical battle, there had to be this amazing spiritual battle that would take place. And so I wonder if part of Ananias is like, oh, Lord, are you sure it's me? It was all not feeling qualified for that particular position. I have come to realize in all my years of ministry when it comes to groups, that's one of the reasons that most people never choose a group or a class or whatever small group you have going on. They feel unqualified. They're afraid if they walk into this group with these people they don't know, somebody's going to ask them a question about the Bible that they don't know the answer for. And somehow I believe many people have this perception of groups that is this, this group of theologi theological just students that are just t talking these deep, deep things, truths of the Bible. Let me let you know this. In our groups here and moving forward, we want to talk about the Bible. But we don't want to go so deep that it does us no earthly good. Your groups that you'll find here is not full of theologians. The groups that you'll find here, regardless of what groups they are, are people just like you and I that are struggling in life. Some days we have greater faith than other days. Some days we feel like the problems are taking over us, and some days we feel like we got the problems and we're taking care of them. But our groups are designed to be safe places where people can come and discover who Jesus is. And I wonder, again, Scripture doesn't say this, but I wonder when, when, when Ananias is like, Lord, are you sure you want me to go? Because, like, he's a big persecutor, and I bet the Lord's going, yes, I want you to go. I'm not asking Ananias how qualified you are. I want you to just go be available and help another brother in Christ. That's all it took. So that's the third excuse. Here's the fourth excuse, and we'll move on from there. The fourth excuse says this, and Ananias didn't say this. But it's an excuse that you and I offer up all the time. When God calls us to do something, here's our excuse. I'm too busy to add anything else to my schedule. <laughs> Anybody ever felt that excuse? I didn't say say that excuse, felt that excuse. Like I cannot give one more thing, okay? I've got this and this and this and I can't give one more thing. And just busy, busy, busy. Our problem is not that we're too busy. Our problem is that we're just not prioritized. I was doing some research this past week, and I, I, I think it said that the average American will spend eight to ten hours a week watching TV. And I don't even want to begin to how many hours that we spend mindlessly scrolling social media, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or whatever your choice is there. I can look at the end of the day going, I have no time, but yet there's two hours. Watching TV is not bad. Being on social media is not bad. But when it is a priority over the very thing that God made us, and God made us for community, God made us for relationships, when it becomes a priority and that makes us too busy, then it's not about being too busy. It's just not the right priority. And so one of the, one of the excuses that we often offer is just, it's just too busy for my schedule. I love the way the message translates this little part of the passage. Um, the message translation says this. When, when Saul looked up at, or I'm sorry, when Ananias looked at G, or when Ananias looked at the Lord and responded, he responded, Master, you can't be serious. Now, here's what I love about this. Even as you read on in, in the next few verses, you would think 
if someone looked up Jesus and the Lord when he called us to do something, like you can't be serious, you would think that that might just give the Lord the opportunity to come unglued. God, isn't that the moment the Lord could finally take a lightning bolt going, I've had enough of your excuses, bang, and I just get you right there. Or do you think sometimes the Lord could just, just yell up in heaven, I can't handle all these excuses and just the frustration of the Lord. But you never sense frustration from God's response to Ananias' response. Even when Ananias went from yes, Lord, to but, Lord, you don't see an angry God pictured in here. You don't see a vengeful God being portrayed here. Look what God says. But the Lord says, go. It's almost like the Lord was up in heaven going, mm, yeah, okay, I hear you. Mm, I can understand that. Yeah, I can see your point. Okay, just go. And here's what I love about that. There's a sense of grace. There's a sense of the Lord accepting Ananias where he was, even in his yes and his buts, accepting him, even in his little understanding, even in his little bit of faith, and going, okay, now go. Here's why that's so comforting to me. Because that's the way the Lord does you and I. He's not mad at us when we don't just respond, yes, 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 yes. Even when we offer excuses, as little and flimsy as they may be sometimes, he's still willing to say, okay, I hear you. Now I still need you to do it. Go. And then he goes on to say this in Acts chapter 9, verse 17. So Ananias went and he found Saul. So he, yes, but, but he went. So Ananias went and he found Saul and he laid his hands on him and he said... Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And then he got up and he was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. And Saul stayed, look what it says here, you ready? And Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Let me rewind that. I want you to get this. And it says, and Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. Watch how community works. There was Saul. He didn't understand Jesus, hadn't fully accepted, didn't fully understand all that Jesus was. And so he was over here. Here's, here's Ananias, a man that's walking with God, but you couldn't call them community. We can't even call them friends. We don't even call them acquaintances at this time. But God brought Ananias into the path of Saul. Saul's conversion experience becomes deeper and more well-rounded, and he understands more. And in that moment, other believers gathered around him. Wouldn't you like to have been at the patio when those other believers are gathered around because I believe those other believers, as they're seeing the change in Saul's life from a persecutor of Christians to now a minister and a pastor and a missionary in God's world, I believe their life became fuller as well because they're getting to be a part of it. Can you imagine for just a second if you were Ananias and you would have said, not just yes, Lord, but Lord, but you said, no, Lord. What if this story would have been changed completely? What if Ananias would have never obeyed God fully? What if Ananias never would have went to straight street? What if Ananias just said, not me, Lord, I'm not signing up for that. Now, I believe with all my heart, if that might have happened, Paul still would have been converted and Paul would still become a missionary because God's ways will not be thwarted. 
But Ananias would have missed out on it. Ananias' life wouldn't have been as full as it became in his own life. You can read the rest of the New Testament. I can't find any more accounts of Ananias in the Scripture beyond this point. So it's not like he became this famous guy because he's the one that prayed for Saul. But I do believe this, if we could somehow interview Ananias the days and months and years after this event, because he did say yes, Lord, because he did go to Straight Street, because he was involved in what God was doing there, that his life was richer and fuller and he knew Jesus in a deeper way. And the believers that gathered around knew Jesus in a deeper way. That's the reason I think groups are so important, not just important for you, but God needs you to be in a group. God needs you to be in a community. God needs you to be on the patio sharing life with other believers because your life will influence their life and your life will help make their life better. And so you can't sit back going, well, this community thing sounds okay, but I think I'm really doing okay right now. No, no, because it's not just about you. It's about all of us. Several years ago, when my wife and I moved to California, we moved there and had zero friends. And the church we were going to was a much younger church. And so we were really like the old people at the church. And we're going, where do we ever find friends? And so they were starting groups. And so we said, we'll lead a group. And we advertised it as Empty Nester, recent Empty Nester group. We had no idea if one person would show up. We were nervous because we didn't know who would show up, if they would show up, and if we even wanted them to show up once they did show up because we didn't know what we were going to get. And I'll never forget, these people started coming to the group. I had five couples sign up. And so everybody's coming in very hesitant, very nervous, very anxious, because nobody knows anybody in this group. And so we're hosting them at our home, and they all come in. And so we had our dinner together, and we're being, you know, kind of, we're in the house, but we're still kind of porch because everybody's kind of feeling everybody out. And so it got time. We sat down in a circle, and we needed the icebreakers just to get to know one another. And so we said, okay, go around the room, introduce yourself, and then tell us a little bit about your family. Remember, they're all empty nesters. We ended up calling this group the Boo Woo Group. And here's why. Because as we went around the room, every mom in that room who had just sent their kid off to college or military or wherever they went, she'd introduce herself. Hello, my name is Sarah. (laughs) She would just start crying. My baby's gone from the house. And she'd cry. Every father that we introduce or introduce themselves, they had introduced introduce themselves this way. Hi, my name is Keith. Woo woo. Okay, my kids have left the house. So they were the boo and the woos in that house. But here's what I know. Denise and I began that group, created community, started a patio time because we knew we needed it in our lives. But we didn't know how bad we needed it in our lives. And by the time that group ended, several years later, we had become great friends that comforted each other when people, when family members died. When there was crisis that would come up in one another's lives, we were there for one another. That group was not just about me and Denise. It was about everyone in the group. And that's what happens when we step into community. That's what happens when you move from the porch to the patio. That your life is influenced, but you influence other lives as well. Here's what I look at. Groups, groups should never be an obligation. They should always be an opportunity. They should never be this thing, oh, I need to go to make Pastor Keith happy. Check this off the box. We went to group this week. No, it is an opportunity for God to be in you, through you, and use you in the lives of other people. But when we place ourselves in a place of going where God sends us, it also fulfills us and it fills our own lives with who Jesus wants to be in our lives. And so over the last several weeks, that's why I've been preaching community. 
That's over the last several weeks when I said, I'm begging you, pleading you, kicking you, urging you, whatever it takes to get you in a group. Not because I want to fill groups and think that's a great thing for the church. It's because church, as your pastor, I want everything God has for your life. I don't want you just to serve, scratch the surface and experience a little bit. The Bible says this, that God has great plans for our lives, great plans to prosper, bring us more than we can ever imagine. He's come to give us life and give it to it more abundantly, as John 10, 10 says. And I believe part of the abundance of what God has in store for us will be found in groups. And it's in that community. And so would you hear the heart of your pastor? If you're not in a, a group it doesn't matter if you're 15 or 94. God's designed all of us for community. We've got Sunday morning classes, Sunday morning groups. We've got weeknight groups. Whenever you need to meet or want to meet, whatever group you'd like to meet, we're going to work that out for you. I think I told you last week, we have a yoga class. You're going to yoga class. Is that a group? Yeah. There are going to be some ladies there, and they're going to do some yoga, and they're going to talk about the Scripture. They're going to pray for one another. So there's an activity but they still get to be a group in the process of it. We also have another activity class. It's called the No Tutu class. No Tutu Tapped class. When I first thought that, I thought, oh, they're canceling the Tutu. No Tutu this year, so we're not going to have a group. And then I found out, no, it's like a tapped class. You just don't have to wear a Tutu. Does that make sense? It doesn't make any sense to me, but I heard it's an amazing time. These people have a great time, but here's the deal. It is a group and fellowship. They are building one another in the teaching, in the prayer, in the fellowship, and depending on God. And so we have all kinds of groups. We got Bible studies. We got fellowship groups. We got home groups. We got church groups. We have the perfect group for you to experience the community the way God designed you for it. So here's my last kind of kick for a few weeks. They're all starting this week. If you're not already signed up for one, it is not too late. You can, as we leave today, walk straight out there to our group central where the big poster is. You can sign your name up if you want to go on your iPhone right now and you can sign up online, but it's not too late. In fact, tonight, if you're like, well, I don't even know what group to go to, we're having groups kickoff tonight. And so if you want to come back to the church at 6 o'clock, we're just going to have a light dinner. There's 40 or 50 people that have never been in a group before and some other have been in a group. We're just going to have a dinner and get to know one another because our thinking is this. It can be scary to step into a brand new group where you don't know anybody. So maybe coming back up here to the church and gradually meeting will make them an easy, make an easier step for you to get in that group. So we're doing everything we can to make it easier. But here's the deal. If you got to go, don't butt it. Say yes it. Okay? No more buts allowed. Just yes, Lord, I will go. Let me pray for us um, as we kind of wrap up and move to the next part of our service. Jesus, thank you so much for, for your word. Thank you that, God, that you have things in store for us with your word. And so um, we give our lives to you, Lord. Regardless of our age, may we always say, yes, Lord. And may that be the cry of our heart. Whether it's joining a group or whatever you call us to do, may we always say, yes, Lord. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.